0: All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for today. I thank you for your word that is alive, is active. I just thank you, God, that this book can be read by seven million people, 7 billion people on the planet and the author gets to talk to every single one of them. It's the only book in the world that the author can talk to every single person that reads it. So I just pray you to illuminate that this morning to us in Jesus' name. Amen. One more thing. We do have an Easter festival which is run through a ministry called Alive in Christ. It's a bunch of people, myself included, Jalil and Beck Schelling. We're going to be uh, up in Coffs Harbour. Can't get my drink From the 15th to the 19th of uh, April, we'll put some information up on our website. And uh, it's just a big time to gather together as a family. it will be camping, there'll be food, um, food trucks, coffee vans, worship, ministry, different things. Uh, I'm going to be speaking, Jalil speaking, a bunch of others from around Australia. I'm just going to come together, hang out for four or five days and just worship Jesus as a big, big, big family. So if you want to know more about that and what that's going to look like, it's on a 250-acre property with seven waterfalls, rivers running through it. It is absolutely stunning. And uh, and we get to call it basically our own property because we're in, um, in partnership with these guys. So it'll be on our website, glorycitymelbourne.com. So if you are, uh, yeah, www. GloryCityMelbourne.com. One word. Easy. Cool? All right. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. As Matt said, I, um, you know, Martin Luther obviously changed the way that the Protestant church. Viewed salvation by you know grace through faith alone, and he had a significant impact on some of the things that you and I would probably just call them fundamentals, and just say, hey, that's every, every Protestant believer believes that, and you know it's in the Nicene Creed or w- whatever it is, and and so there's things throughout uh, history and, and life that. In Christian world that become just a part of our everyday language and one of the things that we have a heart of here is to eradicate the notion of you're a sinner saved by grace and that you were a sinner and we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory but now we've come into the priesthood of all believers and that we are saints and we are compatible with the father and um, I'm not preaching sinless perfection don't hear what I'm not saying but our nature is that we now are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Um, Romans 6, I think, mentions 48 times you're dead to sin and alive to God. I think Paul was trying to make a really poignant point that you're dead to sin and you're alive to God. Paul said it this way, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, we've often said this here, If you, why would... God require of us to be not to be equally yoked to our partner, and not require that of His bride. All right, and so I don't want to go too much into that this morning, but I I do want to read a couple of scriptures, and we're gonna. This probably will take me two. I think it'll take me two goes, hopefully, maybe more, but we'll try and do it in two. on the power of the cross and the atonement and what actually took place at the cross. I've been pondering for the last oh, a few months now about <clears throat> Paul, Paul preached a gospel to the Galatian church and then he said, if I or an angel or someone else comes and preaches a different one, Don't believe them. And I think sometimes if you've been in church, who's been in church longer than five years? Like you've been in church life longer than five years? 10? 20? I will stop there. (laughs) Um, Sometimes if you've been in leadership or ministry life or whatever, sometimes you can get to this place where you're like, Momentum shifts and changes, and you go, Oh, what do we have to change the course, or what what are we doing right now? Or do we do we preach a seeker-sensitive message so that you know more people would come in, or you know, whatever, right? I'm just I'm just spitballing here. And I, I just believe sometimes the Lord's just asking the church, do not change the subject, and my gospel is sufficient. Yes, it's powerful. It changes lives. Yeah. The blood is the blood, Amen. yesterday, today, and forever. And He's really, really good. So our, our lenses need to change because He we don't change God; He changes us. Yeah, Amen. Yeah. All right. And so that's where I feel like we're at, and uh, that we just I just want to stick the course. I want to I want to just. Do that narrow path in the kingdoms wide. There's a lot in the kingdom, but there's one way to God. It's Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. It's Jesus. And I want this house to be a house that's just about Jesus. That people would come, they'd say, I don't fully understand those guys, but geez, they love Jesus. I'm okay with that. Right? that That would please me that we would be a place that not only comes and worships the King, but we would take what we get and we would give it away out in the world around us and we'd see our city and our region transformed mm-hmm. and that we'd be known because of our love for Jesus and our love for one another yes. and that that would be the foundation of our of this house. And so one of the starting points, I think, that is how we come to Christ, how we come to the Father and what actually... Is the atonement what actually took place on the cross? And so, we're going to look at a few passages of scripture, but we're going to look at three belief systems that have been over the past thousands of years. Uh, and one, of the, we're going to kind of start with the one that I believe is correct. <laughs> and um, this was actually preached and taught for around a thousand. Up until about the 1500s, this was kind of the most common view of Christianity, and it's that Christ is, Christ is victor. Has anyone heard of that? That Christ became victorious over sin, death, and the grave, and got the keys of the kingdom back yep. and handed them back to us. Yep. That what Adam and Eve lost in the garden, Christ got back and he became victorious, that he didn't satisfy, and I'm going to, I might like touch on a nerve here this morning with some of you, but I will teach and I will correct, I will show you in scripture, some of this, that God didn't satisfy the wrath of God against sin, that Christ wasn't doing that on the cross. And, Don't throw stones, let me explain. There is nowhere in Scripture that the wrath of God is linked to the cross, ever. I know know you're racking your brains now through all the Scriptures. There's actually nowhere where the wrath of God and the Scriptures are tied, where it's God pummeling His Son to satisfy something. That's not, that's, can't find it in Scripture. Do I believe in the wrath of God? Absolutely. It's mentioned multiple times in the New Testament past the cross. That's interesting. I think it's 12 times it's mentioned post the cross, the wrath of God. Romans 1, it talks about it says that the wrath of God was, poured, was is to be poured out because of um, sin, because of the way that people live their life. Men loving men, women loving mim- women. It says going against the creation of God. That talks about the wrath of God in that verse, Romans 1.18. There's multiple times where it talks about the wrath of God and in different ways. That, and so I'm not belittling the wrath of God, and I'm not saying the wrath of God isn't real, it's a very real thing. God is an emotional... He's emotional. He has emotions. He's very in control of his emotions. But the wrath of God is, is real. Right? So did you hear me say the wrath of God is real? Yes? Okay. All right. So turn with me to Hebrews 10. Are you there? Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm going to look at Scripture. Hebrews 10. Actually, we're going to start in the end of chapter 9. So Christ is victor, there's another uh, um, theory or theology that was called satisfaction theory and that didn't really take up, we're not going to spend heaps of time on that, but it was basically that sin had been dishonoured and that it needed to be satisfied, that it needed to be, uh, that that act of disobedience needed to, that, that somehow God needed to be satisfied with the punishment. And then there's Calvin John Calvin brought in what's called penal substitution uh, theology, which is basically that a price needed to be paid to God. It needed to be paid. The debt needed to be paid and the debt needed to be paid to God. So he sent his son to pay the debt. Is that, is, is that an okay a summary of probably what a lot of us have maybe grown up with or maybe some of us haven't? I think most people in the Pentecostal, charismatic, it, uh, most people in the church world would have a Christ as victor mindset, but probably language gets confusing. And language is important. How we, you know, people say, oh, it's it's, it's can be challenging to articulate something, but language is really important. And the way we view things and the way we actually articulate things is really important. And so Calvin believed that, that there needs to be something paid to God to satisfy the wrath of God. And that was Jesus on the cross, right? That's what's been taught for thousands of years. Since, since the 1500s. Let's just read Hebrews 9. You guys okay? Okay. Verse 24. We'll start there and we'll skip around Hebrews 9 and 10 for a bit. For Christ has entered not into, the, into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, it, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So, what did Jesus do on the cross? Put away sin. As far as the east is from the west, behold the Lamb of God who satisfies the wrath of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Um, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Why doesn't he appear a second time to deal with sin? Because he did a really good job the first time. He didn't mess it up. He dealt with the root issue of humanity on the cross. It was sin. The Bible says he became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's a good deal. All right, Hebrews 10. See, because I'm not interested. If the Bible says that Liam Swains have to stand on their heads and stand upside down and recite, you know, some kind of prayer to be saved, then that's what I have to do. I'm not interested in trying to make God in my image. I'm trying, I want to know what he's like and then adhere to that, right? So if, if, there's, if I'm wrong on this, I'll yeah, all right, I got that wrong, guys. Let's re-correct it. I'm not interested in, I'm interested in knowing the truth. Okay? Just so you know. Uh, Okay, let's jump down chapter 10 of Hebrews to, let's go down to verse 11. And every priest, remember there's no chapters in in the, you know, this is one big letter that they would have read. So this is continuing on. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. He's now referring back to the shadow and types of the old covenant, right? But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Some says sanctified. Some said who are sanctified. It's different translations. We're not going to talk about sanctification this morning. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins their lawless deeds no more. Verse eighteen, he says, "Where there is forgiveness, forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin." Let's This is kind of where we want to hit. Verse nineteen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain And good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Wow. That's a passage right there. Did you catch it? We've been sprinkled clean, clear conscience. We no longer have the sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west. We now have the Holy Spirit taking up residency in us. We have a clear conscience and a pure heart. We can stand boldly before a father because we're compatible with him again. Because we have a great high priest called Jesus who didn't go to the cross to satisfy the wrath of God. He went to the cross to pay the to, Oh, I better be careful of the language we use here. He went to the cross to deal with the issue of sin to be, so that you and I can become victorious over sin, so that we don't have to live the way that we were living. I mean, wrote, uh, Hebrews eight, he says, "This is a covenant enacted on better promises." Uh, a very um, a, a man that I've just loved and admired from a distance, a guy called George Banoff. He says, "If sin, if if if." the only time you're free from sin is at the cross is when you die then death is your savior not, not Jesus wow. yeah. amen <laughs> so <clears throat> if you go to 2 Corinthians 5 so you're like okay Liam I'm 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 I yeah okay I'm with you I'm 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 getting what you're putting down and okay what does that mean? What actually happened on the cross? What did Jesus actually accomplish on the cross then? Because this is the reality. We're going to look at three. Yeah, we'll, we'll be able to do it. We're going to look at three. Because I'm like, okay. When I started thinking about like this, I'm like, okay, that's, this is interesting. What are you saying to me, Lord? Where in the Bible then can I find shadows and types that will show me what this is talking about? Because the Bible does a really good job of defending itself. You know, it's just really good. You don't have to go looking down conspiracy theories. You can just look to the Scriptures. You'll get a really good idea of who God is, right? It helps sometimes to have a little bit of historical knowledge, but the Bible will do a really good job of defending itself. So uh, so in Scripture, where would I see... These shadows and types. So there is three. We're going to go through three. But before we do that, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, <clears throat> if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Okay. Read this with me. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. How did he do it? How did God reconcile the world to himself? through Christ, how? By not counting their trespasses against them. If I own a house, which I do, or the bank does, (laughs) and I am in serious debt, which I am, (laughs) there is a difference if someone says, I'm going to pay the bank, the debt. By my blood, I need to pay them because the bank needs some kind of payment or punishment. Versus, because of the sacrifice on the cross to take on sin and make a covenant relationship with God, Or the bank. God says I wipe the debt. Actually I wipe it as far as the east is from the west. Do you you get it? That's different. It is different. Because what was Jesus doing? He was making a covenant offering with his father. Hebrews 10, what did we just read? He went into not holy places made by human hands. He went into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. All right, let's look at the first one, Abraham and Isaac. I will paraphrase the story. You guys probably know the story well, but Abraham and Isaac... Um, If we read, I'm just going to read a bunch of scripture for you. But if we read Hebrews 11 verse 17, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. But it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God, listen to this, Abraham considered that God was even to raise him from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Right? Galatians 4, 21 to 31 talks about all of this. And it says, um, Tell me when you desire to be... Un- oh. you, you, actually, just write that down. Galatians 4, 21 to 31. You can read it for yourself. But it's basically, he's, here we have Abraham and he's tested by God. Why? He's tested by God out of relationship. And Abraham takes Isaac to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham's not appeasing the wrath of God. There's no mention of it. This is a shadow and a type of Jesus going to the cross. It even says Abraham believed God would raise him from the dead. I mean, that's just awesome. That's our first shot. There's no mention of, well, Abraham, I need you to grab Isaac and I need you to pay a debt for me. um, And so can you kill your son for me? It's not what he said. He said, Kent, would you give me everything? And then God saw the faithfulness of Abraham and he went, I've found a guy who I can name all my children after. We're considered children of Abraham. I've found a man of faith, who by faith, it was a credit to him righteous. There's no mention about paying a debt. It's not in there. It's not in the type and the story of Abraham and Isaac. There is a relational thing that God is asking of Abraham. It's through a relationship. It's not through debt paying. Right? Second one is the Passover lamb, right? The Passover lamb. We know this story. It's, it's, uh, it's why we celebrate Passover. It's, uh, it's, it's just a famous story. So if we go to one, I'm just going to go to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. So this is the second shadow and type in the Old Testament that points to the cross and Jesus. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Cleanse out the old... Start at verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of the malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Hmm. Go to Luke 22. I know I'm reading a lot of scripture and I'm making you get your gospel track shoes on, but go to Luke twenty-two, nineteen. 19. Listen to this, and he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, "This is my body which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, "This cup that is poured out for you is the new cup. It for you is the new covenant, in my blood." In my blood. That's what it is. The body was broken. So we'd become victorious. the blood was shed by his stripes. We are healed. Right? So, what is the Passover lamb? What happened? Well, you know the story. The lamb would be sacrificed so that they would have, they would kill the lamb. Let me tell you, they would then eat the lamb. It was a meal offering. They would kill the lamb, they would eat it. Wouldn't waste it, they would eat it. (laughs) It's delicious. <laughs> they would eat the lamb then they would put the blood on the door why would they put what would the blood do so that God would pass over them where was God's wrath was it against the people of Israel or was it against Egypt right so the passover lamb wasn't appeasing the wrath of God against them it was saying we believe by faith that this sacrifice of a lamb will bring us into relationship together and the blood of the lamb will cleanse the sins of, human- of Israel so that you would pass over us and destroy our enemies and set us free. It's powerful. There's no mention in the Exodus story of the Passover and the freeing of Jerusalem, that they were sacrificing the lamb to appease the wrath of God. They were sacrificing the lamb to have a relational covenant with Jehovah Jireh, with Yahweh. And they were like, hey, we believe by faith that this blood and this lamb would bring us into a relationship and into a covenant agreement with your ways. Because our ways are not working. So we need, we need to leave this lamb We'll bring about the doorposts so that you would pass over us, kill our enemies, and we'll walk free. Now, we obviously know we're in a new covenant now and our enemies are not people. Yes, people might carry around critters. They might do some dumb stuff. But we've been given the ministry of reconciliation the same way that Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for sin for us. Right? Does that, yeah? Okay. The last one is the atonement lamb, which we read about where Aaron sacrifices. Um, it's found in Leviticus sixteen. We're not going to read it, but it's found in Leviticus sixteen, and uh, where Aaron would sacrifice the bull for himself, so he could go into the holy place, and he could then, and then there was the two lambs that were sacrificed. And then so he would sacrifice the bull, you know, the bull for himself and then he'd go into the holy place and then he'd lay his hands on the lamb to atone for the sins of all of Israel for another year, right? And then they would slit the throat and then they would pray that the sins would go into the lamb and the lamb would... There was the two lambs, there was that lamb and then there was the scapegoat lamb. Do you, do you guys remember this? No, okay, I'm not, I don't have time to fully unpack it in, in its fullest form, but... Um, in Hebrews 10, it talks about this and it talks about where we read uh, at, at the beginning. It talks about that even the first covenant that was made was made and inaugurated with blood. And it talks about in Exodus 24 where uh, Abra- it's, oh, sorry Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the book, sprinkled it on the people and he sprinkled it on the tabernacle and on the, um, the two tablets and he inaugurated that covenant with blood. And that the same way, here the writer of Hebrews is saying, in the same way that the first covenant was inaugurated with blood, the second covenant now is inaugurated with blood. And if that covenant did a good enough job, then Jesus went to the cross for no apparent reason. But it didn't because it only atoned for the sins for one whole year. And it was only a covering of sin, not a removal of sin. But let's look at the shadow and the type. What's the shadow and the type? He takes a bull, kills it. Why? To enter the holy place. Then he takes the lamb, slits its throat. Sorry, children. (laughs) Then he takes the lamb, kills the lamb. Does he bash the lamb? Does he torture the lamb? Does he beat the lamb till it's unrecognizable? His slits his throat. Alright, let's pray. Sins of all of Israel would be here. What are they doing? Relational connection. I'm by faith making a covenant with this lamb as atonement for one whole year, and we'll do this again next year. Because by faith, we believe that God would not punish sin. Sin is not good. God's not like, yay, sin, I love it. Right? But from the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve sinned, he made a victorious rescue plan. Some people use the same language, as it's called ransom theology, that Jesus went to the cross to pay for the he went to the cross to become victorious over sin. He didn't go to the cross to pay a, rent, a, a down payment to God to hold God back. Oh, thank goodness we've got Jesus there because if Jesus wasn't in the way, then God would just be coming through and smiting all of humanity. It's like, no, you don't read that. In the shadows and types, they're all relational covenants that they all made by faith to be in relationship with God, that he would tone for their sins for one whole year. And Hebrews 10 says, now, finally, we have a high priest who doesn't go in once a year into human things that are made by human hands. He went on the cross. He didn't satisfy the wrath of God. He became victorious over sin, death, and the grave and he handed us the keys of the kingdom back. Amen. And he said, now go and change the world. Yes. We're, going to look, we're not going to look at uh, Isaiah 53, but I'll do this one real quick. Turn to Psalm 22 because this is a, tr- a trouble verse that people bring up when they say, Liam, what about Psalm 22? And you'll see what I mean by that in a second. Whenever a quote in the Bible is quoted and it's a psalm or a proverb or an Old Testament passage, it helps to read the entire passage. That's just a little bit of like Bible 101. It really helps to read the entire passage and the entire context because when the New Testament scholars quoted a scripture or when Jesus quoted a scripture, he knew Israel would know that he's quoting the entire passage. So when he's on the cross and he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Right? Because this often gets mentioned. People are like, oh, well, God turned his back on, God, uh, on Jesus because of the wrath that was about to be poured out. Right? That's I've heard that preached. Right? I probably preached that, I reckon, maybe back in the day. Right? And so God turned his back. But if we read, so when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's saying, He says, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? We have to read the whole entire passage of Psalm 22. It's Psalm 22 that he's quoting. So he starts off, it's the verse 1. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? We're not going to read the entire passage, but jump down to verse 23. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. Well, that's interesting. (laughs) Verse 27, all the earth, ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingships belong to the Lord and he rules over all the nations. Oh, it's just good. Hmm. Let's read it again. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. I'm 22, exactly right. (laughs) Now you're right, it's funny. Thanks, Siri. The lamb didn't take Aaron's place. The lamb didn't take Aaron's place. Isaac wasn't sacrificed to appease God. The Passover lamb wasn't sacrificed. The wrath wasn't against Israel. The wrath was against his enemies. What's my point of all of this? What's, you're like, oh, yeah, that's nice theology. Or Finally, we now, well, for the last 2,000 years, a covenant... Has been made between God and God. The covenant that you and I are in is a covenant between God and God. There's been covenants between man and God. They weren't working. And he went, How we you know, how are we gonna fix this? I know. You know, I can just imagine the Father, the Son, and the Trinity, right, talking. They're like, oh, do we sacrifice you every year, Jesus? He's like, no, it's not a good idea. Let's not do that. (laughs) All right, what do we do? Do we we make a meal offering, get them to make a meal offering to us and it just appeases, you know, it brings us into a relationship with them and they have to do that every year. And they're like, yeah, but it doesn't deal with the root issue of humanity, which is sin. I'm 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 paraphr- I don't know if this actually happened this conversation right I'm just I'm just imagining you got the holy spirit I reckon I reckon it was the holy spirit I reckon the holy spirit said I oh, know Jesus will send you down through a virgin and you'll become a human The Bible says, Philippians, it talks about, says that Jesus became a man, a thing to be grasped, that he gave up his divinity. He was fully God and fully man, but he became a man. If he was only God, the sacrifice didn't pay for the freedom of sin, but he became a man. It says he humbled himself and became lower than the angels for a little while. Then he went to the cross, and it says he was beaten, smitten, punished, unrecognizable, because of the weight of sin. Not because of the wrath of God, because of the weight of sin. It says he took on sin. The Bible actually says he became sin. And they looked at him and they didn't even know if he was a human being because he'd been so beaten. They didn't even recognise him. They could have just slit his throat. And that would have paid for the blood for sin. But he became beaten because of the punishment of sin, because of the weight that... He's like, humanity cannot carry this. They cannot carry the weight of sin on their shoulders. I'll do it. I'll take it on. I'll take on the punishment of sin, not the punishment of God. I'll take on the punishment of sin, which is death. The wages of sin is death. I'll take it on. I'll go to the cross I'll pay the the price, not to God, I'll pay the price so that humanity, who we created in our image, can live free. I'll pay it. I'll do it. As a man, I'll do that. And then Holy Spirit's like, yeah, that's what we'll do. And then guess what we'll do? We'll go, I'll come in. Holy Spirit's like, right, that's brilliant. Guys, this is a brilliant idea. Because God, you're God, Jesus, as a man. You're, a, you're the perfect God-man. And you'll then make a relational covenant, a meal offering, his blood and his body. You're making a meal offering with God, the Father. And Holy Spirit's like, well, what do I do? And they're like, Ah, oh, we'll kill their sinful nature and you'll take up residency inside them. Brilliant, let's do it. That's how we can boldly enter the throne room of God and be compatible because it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And I can stand before my Father confidently and boldly and say, thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross. That's why we do communion. It's to remember the blood that was shed and to remember the sacrifice that was paid for our sins so you and I can have a covenantal relationship called the new covenant with our father who absolutely adores us and that is important i tell you why it's important because we boldly would come to the throne of god and we'd become intimate with our Father, we wouldn't be like, oh, I'm not sure I ever have to pay the debt anymore. Or, I, or I, you know, I sinned last week, and so now I'm like, well, now I've got to re-sacrifice myself, or I've got to whip myself into submission. No, it's revelation of the freedom of Christ that sets us free. You can't, sac- he says it, he goes, you cannot sacrifice yourself again. Can't be done. Why? Because he did a really good job the first time. Our job is to believe it by faith, through grace, we're saved. Amen. All right, why don't you stand? Is that good? If you disagree, and you have any theological questions, I'm more than happy to chat through them. There is another tricky verse in Isaiah 53, and um, that talks about it. We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks' time when I'm on again. So we'll we'll go through some. We're going to do part two of this stuff. My heart for this morning was that. I really believe the way we view the father has an effect on the way we come to him and it has an effect on the way that we outwork our faith. Mm-hmm. And you know many people in their Christian life they've seen God as the godfather not a good father. Mm-hmm. And that's a bummer. That's just a bummer. And I believe that when we have the right revelation of who we actually see it clearly in scripture and I'm telling you right now, I've pummeled these verses and I've looked through them, and I'm like, wow, it's fascinating that Christ, that God was in Christ, through Christ, reconciling the world to himself by not counting their trespasses against them. The debt that was needed to be paid was not paid off by, God on the, by Jesus on the cross. It was forgiven because of the sacrifice on the cross. Yeah. It's a big difference. And so um, I wanted to share this and encourage us and sort of do a bit of a a, a Bible exegesis of that this morning because I really believe what the Lord wants to do here and in the nations and in our world is he wants to bring us back to the reality of the gospel and and the finished work of the cross and that we would actually believe it because if we don't believe it, we're not believers we're just coming to church doing christian calisthenics and i'm not interested in that i want us to walk out of here believing the power of the gospel which is the power to transform a human life from a sinner to a saint yeah. that they would be transformed from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son yes. and if we don't believe it we're going to not represent that out there to the world around us mm-hmm. maybe we are we represent you know People just say dumb things like abortion, you know, God's sending the fires because of the abortions in our land. That's just dumb. That's dumb. That's not even God. It's not even a good biblical statement. It's just bad theology. Like, let's be real. Two disciples tried that. They said, let's send down fire. Jesus is like, nah, not a good idea, guys. You don't know what spirit you're of. <laughs> it's like even Jesus, Right. I'm not having to go at anyone in here because no one in here would do this. Right? <laughs> but I'm just saying um, we need to represent him well. Amen. If we represent him well, if as the body, if we represent him, if we represent God to a dying world out there well, they will come running because they'll want, they'll want the head. Yep. If the body represents him well. All right, let's pray. Why don't you just put a hand on your heart. Father, I just, right now, I pray you would give us new eyes to see. You'd give us ears to hear. And you'd give us a new heart to know you deeply and intimately. That we, Like it says in Hebrews 10, that we would come boldly into your throne room. Because we have confidence before you yes we've sinned and fallen short of the glory and there was nothing of our own works that could save us but we thank you jesus for the cross yes, we thank you for the blood that was shed and for your body that was beaten because by your stripes we are healed By your blood that was shed, we can come into covenantal relationship with you, Father. And we can have union. We can be, as Peter says, we can be partakers of the divine nature now. Oh, hallelujah. We can be partakers of the divine nature. And I pray for this house, I pray for every individual here this morning, that there would be a new revelation that would come into our hearts of how much you you sacrificed on the cross was to get us to be in a place of freedom. It's for freedom's sake that you came. And that the world would look at us, not so we would boast about ourselves, but we can say, hey, I know a God who can set you free. I know a God who can change your life. I know a God who can bring you out of darkness and into light. Would you like to be introduced? Here, let me pray with you. I pray that our light would be shone in such a way before all men that all men would see and know there is a God that's alive and well. Thank you, God. And we just pray for our neighbours and say, get them, Lord. (laughs) in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just give God a hand? Can we just thank the Lord this morning?